So welcome to L&D Behind the Curtain, our bi-weekly podcast celebrating some of the great but often unseen work that goes on in the L&D sector. We talk to those in leadership positions at some of the UK's leading organisations and meet some of the rising stars breaking through to the top level and ask them to share their journeys and experiences and perhaps discuss some of their more memorable projects in detail. We like to keep things light and hope that allows our guests to showcase their personalities. And uh, talking to personalities, I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. Hi there, my name is Alex Lockie and uh, I've worked with the training and development sectors for over 12 years now. Uh, I own a business, Bolt Jobs, that uh, supplies recruitment services and uh, a job platform to the training sector. I talk to people all day long and I hear firsthand about the great results, you know, innovation and, and the people working day in, day out to deliver, you know, top learning outcomes. So I'll really want to be focusing on asking guests questions about, you know, their journeys, uh, their victories, their challenges within their careers. And if this helps or inspires just, you know, one person to progress, then I know they'll go on to help many more through their work. And that's the beauty really of working in the learning space. You know, the long tail impact of, of what the sector does is is enormous. Um, so yeah, Nathan, I mean, what, what are your hopes for the podcast? I think really we've decided to do this because we've done a lot of work over the years for clients that goes unseen. You know, we, we, we get frustrated because of the, its internal and its, you know, its proprietary information. A lot of the best work we've done never sees the light of day. And I think that must be the case across all sorts of L&D initiatives and training initiatives. So I'm hoping the L&D behind the curtain really came from that. And I'm hoping that we go some way to showcasing some of the work that perhaps isn't talked about. Um, but I guess without further ado, it's probably worth uh, introducing our first um, victim, I mean, uh, contributor. <laughs> so our first guest is uh, Mandy Lennon, uh, who's a, a managing consultant with Capgemini. She's spent the last 22 years working on a huge range of L&D projects with a large variety of organisations. It's actually a very insightful and quite personal interview, outlining some of the highs and the lows of working in L&D. And I think just before we go into this interview, our first ever one, if you get time and you enjoy what you've listened to, please sort of rate, review and share our podcast wherever you've listened to it. So let's meet Mandy Lennon, Managing Learning and Change Consultant at Capgemini. So hi, Mandy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Lovely to see you again. I mean, Alex and I had such a, a lovely chat with you a couple of weeks ago when we did the pre-interview chat that we do with guests. Uh, and it's something we've definitely been looking forward to doing. So thanks for coming on. Um, you know, it'd be nice to just to kick off really from the top of your career uh, and talk about you may work at Capgemini now and, and, and do what you do, but you actually started in retail. We're kind of curious as, as to how that came about and, and what that role entailed. That came about because um, my mother sent me to boarding school and um, I was very naughty and my main mission for being at boarding school away from my friends and my social life was to get out at the first possible opportunity. So I was told I could leave school if I got a job. So um, I was on a major mission then to get a job and I got one at Bentles in Kingston and I joined their graduate programme. Um, and that basically enabled me to travel all around different departments in Bentles and learn about the world of retail. 
And one day a week, I went to college and got a diploma in retail management. Don't know how, because I don't remember anything from the course. But yeah, that's how my career started. What was it with retail, though? What, what, why, why were you drawn that way? Because obviously, it's not something you've really focused on since. I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest with you, when I left school. All I knew was that um, at home, I had um, quite a social life. I used to go to the Walton Hop disco and um, go out with my friends and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, you, how can you send me away to this school and um, not be with my friends? I want to get out of here. So I, it was the first, it was just job. It was a job. Um, and that was it. I didn't even think about it. I, had, didn't even, I just didn't know what I wanted to do, to be really honest with you. And I got a job, so I thought, right, I'm doing this. I'm hoping my daughter's listening upstairs to this because uh, she's just done her A-levels, not gone to uni this year, and I'm hoping she'll do the same, go and get a job. So you spent five years in retail. What, what did you sort of pick up there that you then took into a long spell at BT, which we'll get onto in a second? I mean, I, I think what I picked up there is that um, I'm quite sociable, like people. I'm very much a people person, I'm very friendly. Um, and why did I join and what did I pick up to take to my new job? I don't really think I thought about it at the time. It was, you know, back in those days, I was out of school. I was living my life. A friend of mine worked for BT and he came round and said, have you thought about joining BT? And I went, well, OK, what does that involve? Um, he filled the application form in and off you go. <laughs> so, and again, another career that I joined um, and I think I might have mentioned this to you before, but when I joined, it was like a career for life. Um, and it was, you know, quite a long time, 16 years. And I just, again, another people type role, customer service all the time, you know, face, you know, facing off to um, the residential clients or customers of Putney, Wandsworth and Southwest London. So that that was that was it really. It was just another job, to be frank. Yeah, and an interesting time to join BT, right? I th think they must have just privatised just ahead of you joining, um, but they will have had a certain culture that would have been very different to perhaps the one you're in now. And and uh, I'm wondering how that's maybe a, um, played a part in shaping you, your, whether you liked it or not. I can't remember actually if we did privatise, but it was very civil service orientated. It was very much, um, you know, chaps in their suits sitting in their offices and us outside doing the work and, you know, filing in a very civil service style. And over the years, it did change, but it was very, you know, if you think about when it was, it was um, in the early 80s. Oh my God, that just shows how old I am. Um, in the eighties, it was just it, it was it was quite an you know very civil service orientated. It took a very long time, and I think it only really changed if it changed that much when I sort of got into the world of um, mobile. Yeah, because I noticed on your, on your background, you end up at BT Cellnet and stuff. And actually, Will and I both worked with. Um, BT extensively over the years uh, and in various, various departments. We've been to a Dastral Park in, in Suffolk. We had some fun there. Um, but we've also done stuff around their Back the Bid campaign, working with footballers and stuff. And they are they are a different type of, of business. And I think that's still the same today. Um, but are there things that for, during that role, during your time at BT, that you've perhaps taken on, that, that you learned to do slightly differently in a culture like that, that perhaps perhaps you still 
do. Or, of course, stuff you resented doing that you think, I'll never do it that way ever again. <laughs> I think at the time I was still young and, you know, I, well, I, I took on sort of, um, I was quite bolshy and, um, you know, I used to say what I thought a lot. And I think I learned a lesson there was you need to um, be a bit professional and maybe not be so mouthy <laughs> and say what you think out loud. Um, it's funny because when you, now talking to you about my career, I don't think I had a plan I think I was, I don't know, I've just gone through life with not really much of a plan. You know, I think it's probably come to more into fruition now as I'm older and wiser and thinking, oh, dear. Um, but, yeah. But, I think- he, but equally had a number of different roles at, at that organisation, right? It, 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 again, looking at your background, it seems that you've done sort of two or three years and you've been promoted or moved on or whatever it was um, to other roles there. And it's an interesting sort of... Um, it wasn't like you joined BT and, and and did 16 years just in the same job is what I'm getting to. You kind of seem to have got a lot of different experience in different areas. Perhaps talk about that a bit. Yeah, so I started off in what was in those times, talking about the civil service, you know, going from, from civil service to private. I started off as a, um, a clerical officer, which basically meant that you... Um, you, you, when we used to implement um, lines or systems or telephone systems, it was filing, basically, filing the paperwork. And then I moved up from there to a customer service, what would now be known as a customer service agent. Um, and in the very, very early days of um, all ACDs, you know, the call distribution panels, and I very quickly learned the trick to show that you were actually online, but you held a button in such a way that you didn't get any calls. You didn't get any calls, so um, I got I got that <laughs> I got that experience in Wimbledon. I worked in Wimbledon, and then um, I moved on from there to Croydon, and still doing a commercial officer role, which was basically owning what owning clients or customers. You know, would come to me, and I would be their point of contact for um, their telephone, anything to do with their telephony. And then um, I moved from Croydon to um, an international part of BT, actually. It was um, the government element. So I was involved very briefly in implementing um, secure lines for the government and the royal family and things like that. So that was a bit of a top secret role in London for a while. And then a role came up um, for a channel manager. And I applied for this role and my friend, um, Andy, he applied for the same role and he got it and I didn't. And I thought, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? So a friend, a very good friend of mine, um, he said to me, what are you going to do now? You're going to go back to them and ask them, you know, what happened? What what could you have done better? And I was like, oh, okay. And I went back to them and I said to them, you know, I'm really disappointed I didn't get the role. Um, I really like another opportunity if this role came up. Um, great. And then as it turns out, they Andy decided he didn't want to take the role and I got it. So that's how I moved through the roles at, at BT and Cellnet. And then obviously they went through changes from BT um, to BT Mobile to BT Cellnet. And I left just before it went to O2. 
Lovely. I mean, that gives us a good flavour of kind of your early days. And actually, what you've just talked about there, I mean, I know Alex is going to pick it up now with Cap Gemini, but um, what you've talked about there and lots of movement within um, your career at, at BT perhaps is, is very different to what you did next, but I'll leave that to Alex. Yeah, so it was interesting really to hear about your career at BT. I mean, what then attracted you to the world of of learning after that well the role that i had at, at bt in that in that particular sort of customer facing role involved um you know bits of channel management and what that meant was looking at what um clients required and trying to fit a business solution around it and you know the service that they would get from bt um so and then another part of it was um training I used to go out to, if you think in the old days of when mobiles were introduced, um, you know, the big bricks that we used to have, um, I used to go out and train sales teams in how to use a mobile phone and how to connect it in their car. I mean, you wouldn't think of that now, would you? Um, and it was very difficult. You know, some some of the sales teams, they really were awkward. They just, all they were thinking of was getting their bonus and they don't want to talk to me. Um, and then, um, <laughs> what's that? Is that an amber or a sapphire? I don't know. I think you're due an upgrade. I think you are. <laughs> I think you are due an upgrade. I'm, I'm sorry. I, when you mentioned that, I had to grab it. Talking of upgrades very quickly, my upgrades always go to my children. I think I'm still on an iPhone 8. They've got 13s and whatever. <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but I thought you'd like, I, like I that. that. Sorry, carry that, on. Just, just to say on that, actually, Nathan, that was classed as a mobile. That was a trans mobile yeah. phone. Yeah. And you'd have that in your boot. And anyway, I'm really sorry, Alex. Just remind me no, no, the no. question. No, no, it sounds, it sounds like you're getting onto a theme of, of people being resistant to, to change yes. uh, and, and, you know, developing. Yes, absolutely. That's how I got into the world of learning. So, you know, we took this redundancy package from BT and I, uh, from Selnet. I say we, I mean, there was a lot of us that went and another really good friend of mine, um, Lynn, she joined Capgemini and she said to me, oh, there's there's a role here that I think you might like. So what's that then? So she said, it, well, it's training. And I went, mm, okay, I'm not really sure about that, but let's let's see. So I took the redundancy from BT and um, had it in my head that I was going to be a lady who lunched and that I would go and work in the Bath and Body Works in Kingston because the Bath and Body Works were still over in the UK and I'd do that a few days a week. That'd be great. Um, but I got a job at Capgemini um, in four days. Wow, wow. Do you remember that process as well? Yes, I do, actually. I'll tell you why. Because at the time, there was this new way of writing your CV. And um, this, I wrote my CV and I handed it in for Capgemini. And my manager, who at the time, Julie, she told me after the interview, because I went for an assessment centre. So you sort of go along and you do a, you know, a, a group activity. You have an interview and they see how you perform. And she said, if we hadn't have met you... <laughs> in that assessment centre. We'd never given you the job because your CV was bloody awful. <laughs> in what respect? I think it was written. I don't know where. I haven't got a copy of it now and I can't remember, but it was written really differently. And I've never done, you yeah. know, uh, since then, I've never done a CV like it. I think it's often the case with CVs, isn't it? That there's a there's a fad, uh, you know, and people follow it when actually, you know, people just want to skim over and, and, and get the highlights uh, yeah. because it's just a tool to get in the door. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we're recruiting quite heavily at the moment in Capgemini and I, I read loads of CVs and, and I think I've got attention deficit disorder because I'd read the first page and that's it for me. And then I just skim the rest. 
So yeah. all these people put all but, the- you know, everyone's the same. And, yeah. and these days with mobile technology and social media, you know, people scan in about six seconds, I think yeah. the average is. is. it? Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, anything over two pages, I, I'd always counsel to say, like, trim it down yeah. and, and get your most important pieces on the first page and, you know, as high up on the page as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So so the role at, at Capgemini that you entered into, tell us about that. So I joined as um, a consultant, as it was in back in those days, and my role um, basically was... Um, to do learning and development for, for Capgemini clients. So what that meant was understanding a methodology for learning and development and how we implement learning. So um, Capgemini is an IT consultancy, so it's predominantly learning um, for system training. So a company would implement a new system. We would go in there and um, talk with them about how um, they like to learn, how their people like to learn and create a programme and develop, design, develop and deliver end user training. And you also came to the role with a, a ton of transferable skills. But how was it landing in a, in a full kind of L&D focus from having not had that before? I mean, to be fair to Capgemini at the time, we went through quite a good induction um, you know, my team in particular, we were put on what we call and um, professional content and professional course development and professional course delivery, which um, today, as I sort of lead the service now, we still do that because that fundamental course gives you the core skills to um, dev- designing and developing and delivering learning. And I, I think I just just fell into it because I obviously my role was very much people orientated in the past I'm very much a people person and at the first when I first joined it I was I was on the bench as we call it so I wasn't actually let loose in front of clients straight away um so I got used to um got myself really involved in understanding the methodology learning how we do these things and then my first um, piece of work was um internal and and what we mean by that is putting a course together for delivery um and it was around customer service so i just basically back then actually thinking about that now gosh these questions are good because they make me remember things um <laughs> the um i did a lot of research in customer service and um i bought a book and it's to do and I, the book is around um the pike flash pike place fish market in seattle and how they deliver service to their customers delivering um selling fish and i created a course based on that which went down well apparently actually do you remember the title of that book no i'm sure there are not too many books about pike place fish market god did i get it out yeah i did get it out (laughs) and i mean alex would sort of develop a bit further because you did talk about some of the challenges you faced at capgemini and the fact that you know perhaps we'll we'll get on to the how it sort of took you a a number of years to make your next move there having come from a bt environment where you seem to move every two three years to something very different but quickly before we go there and again i'll I'll leave that to alex to pick up um give us a flavor of the clients that 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 you've worked with at capgemini just so we know uh and really i guess what day-to-day you're doing with those clients it'd be good to understand that Predominantly, um, you're quite right. I, I joined the company and I moved up the ranks really quickly. So the sort of projects that I went on um, at the very beginning, a lot of them were public sector. So I used to, I did a big project for the London Borough of Croydon. I did, I worked at Dorset County Council, 
and Gloucestershire County Council. So I you know, named myself the council queen at the time because I used to go from one <laughs> local authority to the other. And what did I do there? So in um, Croydon, they were implementing back in the day um, Windows and Microsoft. They were updating their Microsoft. So my role was to lead a team to develop um, a training needs analysis to understand what was being implemented and then what sort of training was required. And at the time, Microsoft, training on Microsoft, um, there was an intellectual property right and we couldn't actually do that. So we couldn't take the material ourselves, develop something and deliver it out to Croydon to the end users and how to use their new systems. So we had to um, talk to external training providers and we um, selected a company called Contrast Training at the time. And it was run by a lovely lady who is still my friend, Jane Sinclair, and um, and her partner, Liz, um, business partner, Liz. So they came in and delivered this training. So what we had was, so that the, the sort of day-to-day role there was getting a team together of people who could stand up and deliver how to use your new Microsoft laptop or PC and, and all the programs. So um, at the time we had in Croydon, they had this place called Heathfield House, which was this, um, I think it was donated by a family in the war to the to the borough. It was a really lovely, lovely venue, um, in a big old house, gardens and everything. And we had different rooms set up and we had people just basically scheduling people through training um, and just delivering this out. Very traditional style, uh, you know, in classroom learning, and, uh, and uh, but I would imagine a, a, a number of different examples of, of different types of styles of learning that you've delivered, and and I know earlier when we spoke before, you were talking very much about, and this is the interesting part I think of you, mm-hmm. is the fact that you have to work with so many different cultures, learning cultures, and it's not a one one size fits all type solution. Even the same training could be very, very different at two different organisations. Give us a flavour then of, of some of the other sort of stuff you do. Yeah, and- so I think predominantly we have this methodology, so we kind of adhere to that. So depending on what your project is, you would either come in at, you know, you do the end-to-end training process, you would start at the strategy and end at the evaluation, do a big high five and go home. So um, other flavours of training that I've done, you you could just go in and do a strategy and come out again. Um, My current client is very different. I have to say my current client um, I'm working for is probably one of the best projects I've worked on while I've been at Capgemini. You have to say that, though. No, I don't. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um it's they're a multinational bottling company so they produce manufacture and bottle um drinks soft drinks mainly i believe and the guy so i think for me you know day to day working with a client having a client that is really really nice really empathetic really grateful for all the work that you do a great person to get on with willing to listen it just makes it for me. Um, and, and for me, the, pl- the project is slightly different, not necessarily completely learning and development because I'm, I'm also change certified as well. So I'm a change practitioner. So I can implement um, change bits. So I'm doing a change communications and learning and learning is about that much compared to the comms and the change. Um, so different, but 
this this chap that I'm working on for this project, he's just brilliant. And unfortunately, he's moving off now. He's off down to Australia for another part of the business because he's on a career path now for his his career. Um, and, And my project manager is great as well. So I feel like I've digressed a bit, but that's it's, that just shows you I can go from doing a, a managing a project of training, having a resort, having resources in there, delivering and you know developing and delivering, to just being the lone person from my team doing change comms and learning. And, and a lot of crossover we find ourselves, you know, when we're talking to clients about producing you know video content for their L and D programs. Often there's a crossover into recruitment or there's a crossover into um, corporate comms or like you say, change. I think I think that's one of the things we try we try and talk about when, when we meet clients as well, is, is perhaps looking at these things holistically and perhaps where you can save some money or whatever. Um, but it is interesting that you have to go into these environments. I mean, you're talking about, I'm going to guess Britvic, but it may not be right. If it's Britvic, I've worked with them in the past. That's why I'm, no. Okay, so, um, but this bottler you work with now and you love, uh, they, they wouldn't have all been like that, your clients. Where, where do you struggle in terms of working with clients that that perhaps aren't, embracing change or or doing things slightly differently or or perhaps don't listen yeah that's a very good point that that happens a lot but particularly when people join the company and they're probably not not quite used to it where I struggle is um I, I sort of think that I'm here because you've asked us you're paying for us to come in to be quite blunt about it because we're the experts so I'm here to give you my expertise and how, you know, give you my advice, what's worked before, what's been best practice. So if they say, well, we don't want to do it like that, and just say, okay, that's fine. But just to show, this is how we've done it before. Have a little look, see what you think. And that's all you can do. You know, in in the world of consulting, you can't sit there and, and, and get stroppy with them. You just have to sort of gently coerce them or suggest to them that this has worked before. This is what's happened on a previous program like your company and have a think about it. That's that's the best way of doing this. Just you, you can't think a learn a lesson. Um, don't take it personally. If somebody has a go at you. I mean, I've worked for some howlers. <laughs> I mean, and that when uh, some howler of projects, one project, the worst, probably one of the worst ones was it was from within. Um, the person was horrible. They were really awful, and it, that was working for um, it was for Lee, not no um, Pearson, the Pearson Group. So it was up in um, Golders, I think it was Golders Green, um, up there. And the, the person within from my company was awful, most awful person I've ever met, and and it was a very difficult time in my life as well. So I just thought I'm not doing this anymore. I've had enough of this. <laughs> Get me off this project. And then would you just move on to another project if that if that was the case? If, yes, you can. If the, if there is project in the pipeline, you know we have a pipeline of work mm. for for what we do, and you you can move on. Yes, if there's something there. Otherwise, you go on the bench, and then you make yourself useful and do stuff to help enhance um, the, your business unit. So, um, and that's something we're very big on um, in in Capgemini is you know what we can do. Um, to sort of develop our propositions and develop our, I guess it's saleability. And when you land on projects like that, are, are there any kind of common mistakes that external clients, you know, seem to be making within learning and development that you see time and again? I think um, 
a lot of people think that learning, oh, it doesn't matter about learning. Don't worry about it. You know, they just don't, back you know, back in the day, they don't realise the amount of effort that goes into getting that learning programme ready. So they push you to the end and we are the end of the food chain. There was a percentage somewhere about the failure of projects uh, or implementations if learning or change wasn't um, done. I think it was about 60 to 70% of programmes fail. Right, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're all about lessons learned, bringing in best practice. So it sounds like you're talking about that there may have been a culture of undervaluing yeah, learning absolutely. and development initiatives. And that, that tend to be one of the most common things you see. Not so much now, definitely back in the day. I think it's getting better because the world of learning's changed now. You know, the modern learner, as they call it, very different to what it was back then, very different. Tell us a bit more about that. So I think this was probably exasperated by the, by COVID, but people people don't that that young people well people are more savvy now, aren't they? Look at that; they haven't got those bricks that you've got down by your side there, Nathan. They've got you know mobile phones. They want to that people are hungry to learn. A lot of people. And there are some stats out there, and I'm not quite sure what they are. They join companies for the learning opportunity, so people want to learn on the go when it's when it's suitable for them, on the bus, quickly. You know, the days of taking groups of people away from a process, out of their environment, into a classroom are gone. So the modern learner is really really about how can I get this information quickly? And if you think about it, you do it anyway. So if you go on Amazon or something like that and you're not quite sure where to go, it helps you where you need to press and what you need to click on to, to order whatever you need from Amazon or whatever. So I think it's about them being busy, savvy, wanting it quick, you know, at the point of need when they want it. It's like we're looking for recipes when you're cooking dinner, right? You know, it's as simple as that. And and, um, and of course, as a, as a video production company, we, we've we've gladly seeing a trend for bite-sized content where when we first got into this six, seven years ago, we were working with a big uh, car manufacturer that I think the first video they showed us was about half hour long. You could barely hear the chap talking. He was stood next to a really noisy machine. And now it's very much demanding that kind of three-minute, four-minute video, box sets of, of, of videos and chapterizing content because I guess we're all competing within that attention economy, which is what you were saying, Alex. You know, this idea that everyone's online, they're busy, they're, they're or, or like you were saying as well, Mandy, on the bus, they want to perhaps catch up on something. And that's certainly a trend that we've seen more. Just, not, just interrupting a little bit there then is that, you talked about different styles and stuff. You mentioned in classroom stuff earlier. Well, tell us a, a, a very broadly a flavour of the types of programmes that you would have been involved in. So I'm sure there's a, a broad spectrum of those, whether they be, say, video led, whether they be, uh, you know, stuff you've done around events because you've got everyone there in one place. Or It's just some interesting stuff like that. It, it, it varies, you know, classroom led, e-learning. You know, um, one thing I have learned about e-learning is don't make it half an hour. Um, but, um, you know, e-learning, um, knowledge shares, what we call conference room pilots, you know, you have a, you set up a, a sort of a fake office and people can come in and get a flavour for what is it going to look like. So we did that in, in places like um, Swansea City Council um, with respect, you know, local authorities sometimes are a little bit stuck in their ways. So, you know, how can we how can we change that? Oh, well, let's do a conference room pilot. Let's set up a PC with Oracle on it, with the Oracle application, bring them in, have a play about. Not so bad, is it? Look, that looks really good. 
that sort of thing. So they vary. So, you know, definitely um, lots of e-learning, um, lots of, um, uh, I say lots of classroom, just, just sessions of people coming together, having a chat, um, understanding and talking about their experience, that sort of thing. So, you know, that's, that's moved. Yeah. That's really been what it's, what it's about, you know, as I say, predominantly classroom, but over the recent years, it's just, we're just moving more and more to, um, knowledge share, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I guess that kind of term hybrid's been around for a while. Um, but aren't we all a bit hybrid now? We're all, we're all at home doing this, you know, we're, um, we're used to kind of dropping in and doing that kind of meetings and, and then working from home. And I guess learning's bound to go the same way, right? How, how have you noticed that sort of shift over the last couple of years? Um, from a learning perspective, no, I can't think, I haven't, I haven't done, been on any projects where um, we've been doing learning, but from the team that I work on, um, you know, we started to do different things. I'll tell you one thing that we did do on one client, a very, um, very well-known recruitment consultants, we um, did escape rooms. So things like that, that's, that's, that's just wild and different and it's good. <laughs> And you wove the the learning, if you like, into this escape room yeah. game, whatever you'd call it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's in, it's it's good. It's, my my colleague Paul, he he did it for um for this particular company. Um, yeah, it, it's the process. You, you this is how you work out the process, and here you do it through this escape room. And I think he was telling me that he had some senior execs from these from this recruitment consultant under the desk, you know, scanning under the desk for um, invisible ink for for clues and stuff, and they were like, "What the hell Brilliant. am I doing?" But they. they they got into it well promotes connection yeah absolutely yeah what i see is a lot of organizations kind of overlooking lnd as an employee attraction mm. tool yeah and actually that is you know a lot of what people want now and, and i consult with a lot of training providers and it's often missing from you know their list of benefits is the their own cpd that they give to their own people because actually people want that development career length is shorter. You know, people do want to use roles as stepping stones and, yeah. you know, can work on all sides. Um, but I think now with it being such a candidate driven market, you know, L&D is a, a brilliant employee attraction tool. It's like I said, isn't it? You know, when I left school, job a job was for life. I mean, yeah, five years in, in, in Bentles, just running around, drinking a lot and having fun. <laughs> And then, and then, in, then into BT. You know, there were long careers, and I've been in my career now for a long time. And I don't, I just, everyone has jobs every two or three years now, don't they? Yeah. And you know, like I said, there is a stat out there. I think it is very high. Between seventy and ninety percent of people join a company for the learning. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, you know, we we are we do a lot of graduate recruitment at Capgemini, and you know, one of the questions I get asked, not just in the graduate interviews, but also for experienced hires, is, um, you know, we I I always say, what do you want from us? What can we give you? What are you expecting from us? You know, I'd like to, I'd like to know what the development path is. So, you know, I talk them through what they can achieve. Well, that brings us up back nicely to something you said earlier, actually, around. The rapid progression you had mm. with Capgemini. I think listeners would be really interested to know more about that, you know, maybe how you achieved that and the challenges you faced uh, and overcome yeah. as well. So, yes, I did. I, I joined in, uh, I think within the first three years, I got promoted very quickly um, through the grades and I stayed at my grade before I am now for 14 years. And I don't know why, 
I just thought, just just plodded along, really, just did my projects, enjoyed my projects, did the travelling. You know, my travelling's taken me from New York to Frankfurt to um, Ireland. So I don't know why. And then I've had some, you know, bad experiences on projects. You know, we've had had a situation that wouldn't happen today. You know, there was um, one particular change of manager on my team and um, there was a bullying situation and this that was hard, very hard to deal with. That must have been about four, ten, over 10 years ago. And then another manager on my team. It, it just the, the way that the way that people were treated or I was treated and um, it just kind of you sort of think, oh, I just used to get up every day and do the job. And then um, I don't know what happened, really. I think my manager at the time, she left and I was sort of probably the one that had been here the longest around the learning thing and that naturally sort of fitted into sort of leading leading a service of people, of learning experts, and that's that's evolved now. And then, you know, I did a promotion um, application 20 last year it was last year yeah god <laughs> i can't even remember when it was now um how did i do that i don't know i just all of a sudden thought actually i'm seeing these people that are a grade higher than me and above that and i can do that and in fact i do do it um i've you know really good client feedback really good relationship building i'm gonna do it and i applied for it and i did a did a promotion case because we have to do promotion cases and someone said to me, a lot of people have said to me, actually, to be fair, God, you do so much. How do you do it? And I don't even think about it because I just do it because my role really is around people, you know, because I, I qualified as a coach. So in, in COVID, um, I did a lot of coaching. Lots of people um, came to me for coaching, lots of, you know, and I'm a wellbeing champion as well. So all those sorts of things... And that's that, that's when I went for it. I thought, yeah, I can do that. And I think, well, actually, I'm going to keep going. Why not? And I just think I, the situations that I had really put me down or pulled me down, if that's right. It just, I couldn't believe that somebody, somebody said to me, you do realise you're being bullied? And I went, pardon, you don't bully me. Do you know who I am? Sort of thing. And they went, no, actually, this, this is the behaviour. And um, I had a, a, a three-way meeting with this person and just said because of you I'm thinking of doing certain things and you know and that person since has left the company um but the other person that I had a situation with is still there but you know I avoid them <laughs> Fair. best best to be avoided because I'm stronger now you know mentally stronger and I think but actually when you when you look back on it going back to the counseling session we mentioned earlier Nathan what this is turning into <laughs> um it, it was sort of, you know, I lost my mum. So other things were going on. And so I was just plodding through, I think, Alex, to be fair. And then I, I sort of realised naturally, without realising, subconsciously, I was doing lots of other things. Oh, and building your promotion case over time. Yes. Yeah. And probably, I think I've always been a bit of a late starter, you know. I mean, it's at my age, it's probably, you know, I'm realising that now. But um, I sort of think, actually, yeah, I'm I'm good at this. And and I think another thing that boosted me was um, Cap Gem and I had this um, initiative called Women on Boards, and I applied for it, and I was accepted in the first cohort of Women on Boards, and that was working with the Women on Boards um, 
I think they're that that's I think they're, they're just a company, aren't they? And they they basically coached us and mentored us to um, take on responsibility and take on board positions and apply for non-exec director roles because you can do that. And I didn't realise you could do that. Um, my friend is, is is a non-exec director of a of a, a board up in um, Lancashire or Cheshire, I think it is. And I thought, well, she can do it. I can do it. So I did, and I got um, I got that. I was. Um, fortunate enough to be appointed as a trustee of a local charity but actually you know things like that so that that's when I think so to summarize I think you know going through a bad time with my fam with my mum having a bad time with individuals in this company that how that affected me and now this is me now and during that for you know that period of 14 years and during some of the dark times as well what would you go back and tell yourself you know that maybe you know now or realize now um, or someone else in that position. Think now, I it's unacceptable. You know, I try and recognise that in people. So I tell, you know, this is just try and. What do I tell them? I think oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Don't put up with it. I'm. I joined our Capgemini Works Council as well because I'm about fairness. You treat people fairly, and you have processes that are fair. And across the board so that's what I think I just came out as a bit of a can I say can I say no shit Sherlock <laughs> attitude yeah <laughs> I just come out with that you know that's that that's what I said and and now the company you know everything's different you know the whole the whole bullying thing and that sort of thing is totally addressed now it, it, it sounds like you've done a lot of volunteering you know outside of outside of your core work yeah. do you think that's been integral to your promotion yes. case yeah, yeah definitely valuable for yeah that. i think you know one of the things that cap jam and i value particularly my team is you know you do your day job you know we're there to be billed out to clients but it's your contribution internally as well so my contribution internally is you know i i look after this service um ably assisted by um, one of my colleagues paul um and I do, I'm a well-being champion and, you know, I offer coaching as well. And it's, it's all about, yeah, all about people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up really. Alex, is there anything you want to ask before we, we finish up today while we've got Mandy? Uh, I probably just would have, you know, circled back to ask a little bit more about, you know, some of the actual personal highlights over the years and from L&D, um, you know, if there's anything you'd look back favourably on. I don't know. I think over the years, and I think for L&D, you need to have a passion. You need to have a passion for people. And I think my highlights would be the fact that I've met so many people. I build good relationships. Someone said to me once, you're very good at building relationships. And I went, really? And, you know, and I think that's that's a highlight. It's building that relationship with the clients that I've met. And a lot of my clients are still my friends, you know, Facebook friends, albeit, but we're still in touch. You know, so that's that's that will be a highlight, and and the programs that I've worked on and the implementations, I think it all comes down to the people on the program. You know, I worked for um, on a project for NHS Twenty Four back in two thousand and something or other, ten years ago. So what was that? Thirteen, yeah. Great project, great project, great people, 
and it's that's the high, that's the main highlight for me you know that the fact that we we you know we we've got our methodology we know what we're doing and being able to bring that in and help people that's probably the highlight lovely it's been lovely having you on it's been great uh, thank you yeah, I, I, what, exactly what I thought we would get. Our pre-interview was, I think Alex joined about two minutes late. And by the time um, he joined, we were on to Paul Weller and Sunflower yeah, and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Mandy's music video. Oh, my music video. Oh, <laughs> Mandy, before you go, please tell listeners that your claim to almost claim to fame. So um, I grew up um, in a place in Surrey called Woodham, which was near Woking and um, near the land of Mr. Paul Weller. So he, he was around there, and I used to work in a pub called the Carafino in West Byfleet, um, where um, Bruce Foxton and co used to come in and drink. So, you know, by virtue of the fact that I lived there, I was a bit of a massive Paul Weller fan, which went into the Star Council, which has now gone into him alone. And one day um, at a village hall, Perford Village Hall, um, they were filming a video, a music video for the Star Council. And I truly believed that I was in this video. I can't remember the tune, but I won't be hard to remember what it was and find out what it was. And and I've been telling everybody for years, I've been dining out on the fact that my interesting fact is that I have been in a Star Council video, which to be fair, when you're interviewing graduates now, they will go to me, who's Paul Weller? Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Um, exactly. So... Um, <laughs> Sky Sky Arts did a did a thing on the Star Council, and up came the video. And where was I? Not there. <laughs> so they cut me out of this video. <laughs> Not telling anyone. It's just more. Well, as, as I said, as I said before, if we end up ever working with you on the side, we'll comp you in, and you can perhaps show people. Uh, yeah. You centre frame or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but really lovely. Thank you very much. You've been great fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, that was our first one, but uh, I hope they're all like that. that. I mean, Mandy was just great fun. Um, I think Mandy's one of those people you, you're going to keep in contact with. She seems to have had a career where she's made a lot of friends along the way. Alex, what was your key takeout? I loved how honest Mandy was. Mm. Yeah, my big takeout was was not to hide your light. Uh, I think all of us feel imposter syndrome from time to time, but you know, Mandy tackled it in getting that promotion and, and didn't let it hold her career back. Um, I thought it was really interesting as well to hear about her transition into L and You can you know you can tell she's a, a fabulous people person. And in hindsight, you know, it sounds like it was an amazing move for her. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think it's the same as the kind of thing that I was thinking is that Mandy really values communication and people. And I think that's a philosophy I share myself. And I think it's important, whatever your role, you know, us in video production and, and you, Alex, in recruitment and, and anyone in the sort of L&D sector. We, communication is such a key thing. I talk to my kids all the time about it. If you can write well, you can communicate well and whatever role you ever go in that's going to stand you in good stead so yeah fantastic to hear and, and what a great interview Alex so who have we got next week so next week we've got uh, Brendan Noonan uh, he's a vastly experienced uh, L&D leader uh, having joined Emirates in their infancy when they were just a startup uh, and he helped them to scale into a market leader so he is chock full of knowledge stories and yeah another fantastic interview and a big thank you really to Kevin Murphy that helped us set that one up as well so so looking forward to that one but what a start Alex we finally got one done we've been talking about this for a while 
That's one down. And uh, thank you so much, Mandy. You were really insightful and, and a, a fantastic way for us to start this series of podcasts. So, so thank you again. Definitely. And if you made it this far, thanks for listening. <laughs>